You're listening to The Moment, compelling conversations with amazing Canberra women, hosted by award-winning journalist Ginger Gorman. Today, Ginger talks to Nicole Lauder, Liberal MLA for Brindabella, about the moment her brother was shot back in 2002 and how it changed her life. Back in October 2002, I was working in the public service and my husband and I had gone for a long weekend in the Blue Mountains and in the car as we were driving back to Canberra we heard a news story about a shooting at Monash University and my husband said to me, you know, your brother works at Monash University, doesn't he? Maybe you should ring and make sure he's okay. And I said, oh, look, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people, there's several campuses, you know, what are the odds, you know? I'm sure he's fine. And the next half-hour news bulletin, um, it sort of gave a bit more detail. It was at the Clayton campus and I think in the RG Menzies building and my husband said, your, your brother works in that building, doesn't he, in, in the Clayton campus? Maybe you should ring him. I said, look, what are the odds? You know, it's just not very likely. There's thousands of people in that building. And then there was an update saying that, few people had died and that someone had tackled the gunman and restrained the gunman and my husband said that's the kind of crazy thing your brother would do and I said actually you're right that is the kind of crazy thing my brother would do I should ring him and I rang and of course he didn't answer so then next minute my sister rang I want to know though before you get to your sister's phone call what was it about your brother that made your husband think that he would do that kind of thing my brother often did things that were a bit unusual. He'd also been in the Air Force, so he had some military training um, so and had been used to handling firearms, so perhaps he had a bit of bit more training and awareness around guns than some other people might. What did your sister say when she rang you? Well, it was a very surreal conversation. My sister said, don't panic, but our brother's been shot. So it's not the kind of thing you ever expect to hear someone say. She said, he's okay. He's in surgery, but he's okay. So I arranged that my husband and I would go down to Melbourne that afternoon as soon as we got back to Canberra and to be with our family because my my brother was in intensive care for quite some time. And he'd been shot more than once? Mm, he was shot in the upper left arm, which wasn't too much of a problem. It was a sort of through and through the flesh of his of his upper arm. Um, the major problem was that he'd been shot just above the knee on his right leg. And the bullet travelled, came in and hit the bone, travelled all the way up and lodged in his hip bone. So it destroyed a lot of tissue and nerves and all sorts of things on its way up the bone and into his hip bone. So he was in intensive care. He had some complications. He got, you know, one of the staph infections. At one point, um, he's he got a particular condition which meant that the circulation to his lower leg was cut off and the result of that was that his calf muscle died so then he had to have another operation to remove the dead calf muscle Um, so it wasn't from the actual bullet wound itself that was all the problem it was some of the complications later on. I mean I guess some people might say he is lucky to be alive because some other people in that situation didn't make it and were killed but I know that he also has had ongoing problems because of that. Mm. 
And, and don't get me wrong, we are very, very lucky. There were two young men who lost their lives and there were five people, including my brother, who were injured in that terrible shooting. Um, so it, it was a tragedy, very much so, for those families. Um, but any event like that has ongoing effects for the individuals and for the families and the wider communities. You know, imagine how the other students in the building, let alone the classroom, felt at that particular time. Nicole, how has your brother gone on from that incident, both physically and mentally? Because I can imagine if something like that happened, you perhaps wouldn't want to teach again. Actually, my brother was a bit the opposite. He was determined to go back to his normal life. He didn't want this event to define him for the rest of his life. What he really wanted was to go back to what he saw as his normal life. So he did go back to teaching at Monash University and he only retired, I think, a year or so ago. Um, He went back to his job. He loved teaching at Monash University, so that was great. He has you know, the ongoing physical problems from the loss of his calf muscle. For example, your calf muscle helps you lift your foot up and down. So he has, his foot tends to drag a little. He has to concentrate really hard to lift his foot up to walk. And of course, um, I'm not sure that he's ever actually had a diagnosis of PTSD, but I can say, for example, that he doesn't like loud noises. And for our entire family, whenever we hear of one of those terrible shootings, you know, in overseas or in Australia, which doesn't happen so often in Australia, but whenever we hear of it, we all just tend to ring each other up and touch base and make sure everyone's okay. And I think this is something interesting that you don't really think about with any kind of disaster or tragedy, but the incredible ripple effect that that can have, not just on your brother, but your entire family and you as a person as well. It really brings it home to you that on any day at work or anywhere else something might happen and your loved one might not come home. Some terrible event might happen. How did it affect the way that you thought about guns? Look, I grew up with guns. My father was a shooter and he was a marksman in the Air Force and won a whole lot of trophies Um, and I used to go out with him to the range. And in Australia, we do have that history. We recently had that anniversary of the terrible tragedy at Port Arthur, where I think it was 35 people died and 23 injured. And after that, John Howard changed the gun laws. Again, after the Monash University shooting, John Howard worked with the state and territories to change gun laws again to include semi-automatics. You know, really, who needs a semi-automatic pistol unless you're in the army or maybe the police? So it's obviously changed your view about guns. Like if you grew up with guns and you were comfortable with them, you perhaps didn't see a problem, but this particular incident has changed the way you view it, has it? It has. I've become quite an advocate for gun control. I'm not anti-guns, but I do believe that we shouldn't have them lying around, we shouldn't have such easy access to them so that someone you know, with a mental illness or a even a momentary, some fit of rage, has them on hand um, to perpetrate terrible acts. So I am very much an advocate of gun control. I think, you know, the police, the army, you know, the defence forces, I'm not against them having guns at all. Um, Sports shooters who go through the proper processes, I'm not against them having guns either. But it was the proliferation and the ready access to guns I'm concerned about. 
There's been some media reporting just since the anniversary of Port Arthur indicating that, in fact, gun ownership in Australia has crept up since John Howard brought in those laws. What's your feeling about that? Um, If that's what the evidence shows, then, you know, I can't argue with that. But I do know that many, many people surrendered their guns. My husband surrendered the guns that he had at our house, even though they were kept in a gun safe and, you know, under all the proper procedures. So if people are doing the right thing, that's okay. And I guess the opposite of that is the criminal sort of underside will always have access to illegal guns and we need to work to eliminate that but it's when people can just grab a gun when they're in a fit of rage and perpetrate a terrible act of violence. And what about for you because I know this incident with your brother actually had a really strong effect on the course that your life took from then on. Mm. One of the things that you know when you're in an intensive care unit and my brother was there for some time it is a very stressful time for the family not to take away from what my brother himself was going through and I think it was added to by the fact that this shooting at Monash University occurred just over a week after the terrible Bali bombings and some of the victims of the the Burns victims were also at the same hospital in Melbourne so you had families waiting you know in terrible stress and grief waiting for doctors to come out and give them news about their loved ones and after a few days you could see the pattern when a doctor came out and asked a family to go into a the small meeting room you knew it was not good news Um, so you actually got to the point which was again enormously stressful where when the door opened and a doctor came out you wished it wasn't you or your family and so in a way you were wishing bad things on someone else so it's a terrible feeling of guilt that you're hoping it wasn't your family but that meant by default it must be some other family so all these terrible thoughts are going through your mind while you're waiting for news of your loved one and on one of those nights when I was waiting there in intensive care I had this moment of thinking if that was me in there and I died what would people say about me at my funeral what have I done in my life and that's when I decided that I should try and do something a bit more worthwhile with my life you know I had a a good job I felt like I was doing a good job I have lovely children and now grandchildren but how have I made a mark on the world on my community in some way But, Nicole, you weren't doing nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't doing a bad job. Well, actually, at that point, I was in the public service. And this was what prompted me to go to work in the community sector. So I went to work firstly in the disability area and then into the homelessness sector. And I did feel like I was doing something worthwhile. And every day I felt I was achieving something and I'd go home feeling really satisfied. It's not to say that working in the public service isn't satisfying but for me it was just one of those life-changing moments where it influences what you do. And has that brought you here somehow into a life of politics? Yeah it has so that real life-changing moment didn't 
propel me instantly into politics. I didn't decide I was going to become a politician. I went to the community sector and then over time I started thinking more and more about politics because it's those decisions about funding, about the allocation of resources and how you do that is really what makes a difference in the community sector. So I was always going to the government, knocking on the door saying, you know, give me more money, give me more money. But I started to wonder what it's what is it like on the other side of that door having to make those decisions. And the other side of it was that um, when the changes to the gun laws were put through by the then Prime Minister, Mr Howard, you know, as a coming from a sort of family of traditional liberal values, liberal voters, I'm not a big fan of the government telling me what to do, when to do it what I can eat, what I can't eat. I believe in personal choice and personal responsibility. But I thought more and more about when it is important for the government to step in for the greater good. So that also started to lead me to thinking about, you know, what is the role of politics? What is the role of government? And when is it that you should make those types of decisions? Are you really in a position, though, as a politician to make those decisions when you're often tied to, say, party values or party decisions? Like, have you been able to influence policy in the way that you would like? Well, firstly, being in opposition, it does make it really difficult to make those big picture changes. But you really can make a difference for individuals and small groups of people problems that might have plagued them for years and they've come to you and you can get a resolution for it, for them and they're so grateful when you can do that so and it's the time where you put all the work in so that if you do become the government you have your policies ready to go so there's a lot of research you know a lot of talking with stakeholders and understanding what constituents what the people out there what they actually want and what it is that would make a difference to their lives. And if you look back at that moment when your brother was shot and it had this huge effect on his life but also on your life, as you've just said, how do you kind of quantify that impact on yourself? I said it's one of those moments that causes you to reassess almost everything in your life, you know, your family relationships, your work, what you can do in your community it makes for our family it certainly I think brought us closer Um, we're a bit geographically dispersed but you know we talk regularly on the phone and as I said especially after other similar events are reported overseas Um, so it did bring us closer together it made us examine our feelings for each other a lot more instead of you know you grow up you're not as close potentially to your brothers and sisters when they live in another city to you but you know we've really maintained that connection and we're eternally grateful that for my brother at least he he lived through that terrible experience um, because it could have been so much worse you've been listening to the moment compelling conversations with amazing Canberra women. Hosted by award-winning journalist Ginger Gorman. Today, Ginger has been talking to Canberra politician Nicole Lauder. You can find more episodes of The Moment on the Her Canberra website or download them from iTunes.